morning, friends. Going to uh, speak on the subject I was looking at before, the law and the prophets. Before I speak, let's just have a word of prayer. Lord, would you thank you for your word, pray you bless the reading and the preaching of your word today. Guide me by your Holy Spirit and lead us into all truth, we pray in the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen. Okay, so last time I considered the issue of the law or the Torah, the law of Moses, and its relationship to the new covenant through Yeshua, through Jesus. And we began by looking at Jesus' words in Matthew chapter 5, where he says, Do not think that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For assuredly, I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, one jot or one tittle will by no means pass from the law till all is fulfilled. Whoever therefore breaks one of these, <coughs> least of these commandments and teaches men so shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven, but whoever does and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I say to you that unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. So what do we learn from that passage? First of all, we learn that Jesus authenticates the whole of the Hebrew Bible. When he said, till heaven and earth pass away, not one jot or one tittle shall pass from the law till all is fulfilled. He was stating emphatically that God's word is true and trustworthy, that it has been faithfully written down and copied and preserved, passed from generation to generation. Not, not one word or one letter is to be changed or left out, that God has spoken and that his words will have been written down and what he says will surely come to pass. It says, even the smallest letter of the law will be fulfilled. Even the smallest pen stroke of the prophets will be accomplished. The New Living Translation translates this verse saying, until heaven and earth disappear, not even the smallest detail of God's law will disappear until his purpose is achieved. So we have the authentication of what we call the Old Testament, or Jewish people call the Tanakh, uh, the Hebrew Scriptures, by the Lord Jesus. And we recognize that it's actually a unique book in that it is the holy book of both Judaism and Christianity, that both religions accept it as the word of God, both interpret it differently. Uh, interestingly, both Judaism and Christianity acknowledge that on its own, the Tanakh or the Old Testament needs another book to interpret it. Case of Christianity, the New Testament. Case of Judaism, the Talmud, which is just not a book, it's a mass of interpretations by rabbis over the years which interpret the Old Testament uh, in the way which is applied today by Orthodox Judaism. And of course, because they can see it through different lenses, Jews and Christians come to a different point of view. Except Jewish believers come to the same one as us, but Judaism comes through a different understanding of the Hebrew Scriptures than the one we do. Though, in other ways, the same, but there are certain differences. Uh, we also raise a question which comes out of this scripture from Jesus in uh, verse 19. Should Christians keep all of the commandments of the Torah? Jesus said, therefore, whoever breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches men so to do shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. So that raises a question, which commandments is Jesus speaking about? Is he saying that you have to keep all of the commandments which are written in the books of the Torah, in the books of Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. If 
you read that through, you'll find there's about 200 pages, and in that time you have a great number of laws. In fact, according to Judaism, you have 613 commandments, laws which God has given, which are incumbent upon people to keep. Uh, if you want to keep all of them, you've got a pretty big task ahead of you. What's interesting is that actually nobody keeps all of the commandments of the Torah. In fact, if you look at uh, rabbinic teaching, you'll find that they say that uh, approximately half of them can be kept, half of them can't be kept because there's no longer any priesthood, no longer any temple, no longer any sacrifices. So all of the laws in the Torah which relate to the sacrificial system, construction of the tabernacle, the priesthood, are no longer in effect. From the Messianic Christian point of view, they're all fulfilled in Yeshua, Jesus the Messiah. So they are still applying, but they now apply to us through Jesus the Messiah. Also, you find that in the Torah, there are a number of script, uh, laws which relate to Israel's governance in the land, if you like, about how to apply justice, how to crime and punishment, uh, tithing, form of taxation in a way, uh, laws concerning uh, warfare, agriculture, and so on, which actually apply to people living in the land and actually don't apply to people like us who are gathered from the nations and don't have an opportunity to make the laws of our land that we can learn from the, them and see how God wants his land to be administered. We also see that when we come to the New Testament, it implies that there is a change which has taken place with the coming of Jesus. Uh, in John chapter 1, verse 17, we read that the law came by Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. So something has happened which has changed. Jesus has brought something new. You look in the Sermon on the Mount, in the verses which follow, the verses which we just read from Matthew 5, uh, Jesus uh, quotes from the Law and the Prophets, and then he says, you've heard that it was said by them of old. Then he says, but I say to you. So he says, this is what you've heard, but now I'm saying to you something new. I'm telling you something new. And you find when Jesus quotes the words from the Ten Commandments, he restates the written commandment, but he adds what's going on in our thought life. Not only to say don't murder, he also says don't hate. Don't be angry with your brother without a cause. Seek reconciliation with those who you have offended or are offended by. He says not only don't commit adultery, he says don't look at a woman to lust after her. So he goes beyond the outward act to the inward attitude. We also saw last time that this was an issue in the early church. Book of Acts chapter 15, we find that as the Gentiles were coming to faith in Jesus Christ and the church was spreading into Greek and uh, Gentile areas, uh, so many were coming to faith in Christ and there was an issue which was then brought before the council in Jerusalem about whether the Gentiles should be circumcised and commanded to keep the law of Moses. Acts 15 chapter 5 tells you that. Pharisees came and asked that question. And they wanted to bring the new Gentile believers under the law of Moses. And we read in Acts chapter 15 that Peter said no. He pointed out that the Gentiles have received the Holy Spirit and salvation through faith in Jesus as Savior. And he also says that we Jews haven't been able to keep these laws either, so we can't impose them upon the Gentiles. And he gave various commandments which they should keep. Uh, but he actually changed, said that there was now a change. They were now no longer under the law of Moses, but now under the law of Christ. We also saw that Paul had something to say about this. He taught us that this law, the Torah, is a schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. Uh, when we read the law, when we read the commandments of God, we realize that we don't keep them. Uh, therefore, we need a mediator. We need somebody to come between us and God 
to act as the bridge between us and God, between our failure to keep God's commandments. In other words, we need a saviour. And the New Testament plan of salvation actually doesn't make sense unless we see it as the answer to the problem which is raised by God's righteous commandments given in the law and humanity's unrighteousness in disobeying and not keeping these commandments. And Paul also says we're now under a different law. He calls it the law of Christ or the law of the spirit of life, Romans 8, chapter 2. So something has changed. We're now under a different law. But because it's both laws are given by the same God, you'll find that there are many things which are parallel and which we have to keep from both the Torah and from the New Covenant. One of the things I said last time was that the law is one unit, which is summarized in the book of Deuteronomy, which is the second statement of the law. In fact, it means deutero, second, nomos, Greek word for law. It has different aspects, and you could say there are three categories in the commandments given in the Torah. There are spiritual and moral aspects, notably the Ten Commandments, all that follows after them. There are ceremonial laws, the laws concerning the priesthood, the sacrifices, and the construction of the tabernacle, all of which are now fulfilled in Jesus, but which we can learn things from studying. And there are legal and civil aspects, which I've already mentioned, which deal with Israel's application of the laws of the land in which they were going to possess. Uh, I want to look today particularly at the spiritual and the moral aspects and how they apply to us in the New Covenant. Uh, mainly they're found in the Ten Commandments, which you read in Exodus chapter 20, Deuteronomy chapter 5. Also many passages which deal with the commandments to worship one God, not idols. Uh, commandments on sexual morality, on stealing, on murder, etc. And these are summed up in the command to love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and your neighbor as yourself. Clearly, the spiritual and moral aspects do apply to us as believers in Jesus the Messiah. Now let's have a look at some of these passages. In Romans uh, chapter 13, we see how the moral aspects of the law are restated in the New Testament. Paul writes in Romans chapter 13, Owe no one anything except to love one another, for he who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, you shall not covet. If there's any other commandment, are all summed up in this saying, namely, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfillment of the law. Romans 13, 8 to 10. So Paul here restates some of the Ten Commandments and says they're all fulfilled in the commandment to love your neighbor as yourself. And if you look through the New Testament, you'll find that so many of the principles which you'll find in the Torah are restated in the New Testament. For example, worship of God is enjoined 50 times in the New Testament. Idolatry is forbidden 12 times. Profanity, using God's name in vain, is condemned four times. Honor of father and mother is commanded six times. Adultery is forbidden 12 times. Theft, six times. False witness, four and covetousness nine times. So you can look up references to that. I won't give you them all, but you'll find if you look through the New Testament that those commandments given in the Old Testament, in the Torah, are repeated in the New Covenant, therefore are binding upon believers in Jesus the Messiah. 
So we have a principle. We have to work out how do we relate to the law? How do we relate to this in the light of the new covenant? One of the things which you'll notice when you come to this issue is that there are two opposite errors which come into the church. Uh, one is excessive legalism. Uh, as the Orthodox Jews have added laws to laws, that according to the Talmud, there are some 1,500 laws on what you can and can't do on the Sabbath. So you can spend a long time studying that and finding out what you can and can't do. Uh, so the church has also added laws and made these binding on people, uh, traditions which are passed down from one generation to another, which you won't find in the Bible, but become legalistic forms of righteousness. And this is something that Jesus was aware of when he was speaking to the scribes and the Pharisees. He said to them uh, in Matthew 23, verse 3, Therefore, whatever they tell you to observe, that observe and do, but do not according to their works. For they say and do not do. For they bind heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves will not move them with one of their fingers. So legalism adds uh, burdens to people, makes it more difficult actually to follow the Lord. Uh, also, further on in Matthew 23, uh, verse 23, he says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! You pay tithe of mint and anise and come in, but have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faith. These you ought to have done without leaving the others undone. And you have a tendency in religion also to focus on fairly minor matters, make these terribly important, and miss the main point of uh, what Jesus says here, justice, mercy, and faith. All these things happen with legalism. And you could think of churches which add laws to laws and uh, add burdens to people and make it more difficult actually for them to follow the commandments of God as given in the New Testament. You have also the opposite uh, example, which is probably much more prevalent today, which I would say is called antinomianism, uh, against nomos, against the law, license, do what you like, love God and do what you like, uh, lawlessness. Do we see that in the church? Yeah, you see a lot of it. Uh, and I would say it's much more of a problem in today's church and certainly in the world. In fact, Jesus said one of the signs of the last days, we'd say, but in one of the signs in Matthew 24, he says, because wickedness has increased or because lawlessness has increased, most men's love will grow cold. Look it up, what it says, it's, in the Greek it says anomia, which means against the law. So one of the features of the last days is people are going to be against the law. They're going to do what they want. They're going to say, let's have it, do our own thing. Uh, whatever we think is right in our own eyes, that's what we're going to do. Uh, also, if you go into Thessalonians chapter 2, you find that the Antichrist is actually described as the lawless one. Uh, in other words, he's going to be against God's law. He's going to be bringing in things which are anti-God's law. And you see, this is more and more a problem in the church today. You see a lot of churches where there's very lax uh, attitudes towards particularly sexual morality. Uh, adultery and divorce and remarriage is tolerated in ways which they shouldn't be. You hear of pastors who uh, divorce their wives and then marry somebody else from the congregation and carry on. Totally against God's laws. Uh, should be forbidden. You see churches which are endorsing the LGBT agenda. In fact, even we have Church of England, which is working now to try to bring in gay marriage. And also you have some people who are saying that we shouldn't actually preach against homosexuality. That should be against the law. Uh, so you have this lawless spirit which is coming into uh, the Christian church. 
And you see also prosperity teachers effectively fleecing congregations by telling them that if they give money to the preacher, they're going to get rich, but actually the preacher gets rich, and it's a form of theft, actually. And you see these things taking place in much of Christianity. And even sometimes in the kind of circles we move in of the what you might call the discernment ministry, you find a lot of people who become very angry and uh, quite aggressive in their attitudes towards you if you don't disagree with them and can be divisive and destructive within the church. It's all a form of lawlessness and going against what God says in his word. And so we have to be kind of discerning, and we need the, some, we need the leading of the Holy Spirit to guide us so that we're not either excessively legalistic or also licentious and saying, do what you like, and there's nothing which will come against you. So let's have a look at what Jesus says. So coming back to the uh, gospel, Jesus uh, was asked by one of the Pharisees, teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law? Matthew 22. And he answers in verse 37, Jesus said to him, you should love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. The first, this is the first and greatest commandment. The second is like it. You should love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Otherwise, he sums up the law and the prophets by saying that, number one, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. Number two, love your neighbor as yourself. He's actually quoting from two passages in the Torah, which we're going to look at in a moment. But when you look into the Hebrew scriptures, you can see that the, the law is honored and should be practiced and should be held in honor as a means to observe and something to keep us from evil. Psalm 19, uh, verse 7, says, The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold. Sweeter also than the honey and the honeycomb. Moreover, by them your servant is warned, and in keeping them is great reward. Who can understand his errors? Cleanse me from secret faults. Keep me from... <coughs> Keep back your servant from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then shall I be blameless. I shall be innocent of great transgression. So the psalmist there speaks about the purpose of the law to convert us to righteousness and to keep us from great transgression, to keep us from doing things which are presumptuous sins against the Lord. So the law under the Old Testament had that purpose and that was why we were uh, Jewish people under the law were encouraged to read, to obey and to keep the commandments of God. And you see also in the prophets that the failure to keep the law brings judgment. That would be looking in the book of Jeremiah, chapter 7. Read from verse 1. It says, The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord, saying, Stand in the gate of the Lord's house and proclaim there this word, and say, Hear the word of the Lord, all you of Judah who enter in at these gates to worship the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Amend your ways and your doings, and I will cause you to dwell in this place. Do not trust in these lying words, saying, The temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord are these. In other words, he's talking here to people who are actually doing what I've just told you you shouldn't do. They're going to worship God. They're saying this is the temple of the Lord, but they're not keeping God's word. So as far as God's concerned, their worship is meaningless. 
goes on to say in verse 5, for if you thoroughly amend your ways and your doings, if you thoroughly execute judgment between a man and his neighbor, if you do not oppress the stranger, the fatherless, and the widow, do not shed innocent blood in this place or walk after other gods to your hurt, then I would cause you to dwell in this place, <coughs> in the land that I gave to your fathers forever and ever. Behold, you trust in lying words that cannot profit. Will you steal, murder, commit adultery, swear falsely, burn incense to Baal, and walk after other gods whom you do not know, and then come and stand before me in this house, which is called by my name, and say we are delivered to do all these abominations. Has this house, which is called by my name, become a den of thieves in your eyes? Behold, even I have seen it, says the Lord. Look at that list there, and he's actually just quoting the Ten Commandments. And he's saying, you're breaking these commandments, then you're coming up to worship God. Don't do it. God is not impressed, to put it mildly. In fact, these things are going to bring judgment upon the nation. So coming back to the command, you should love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul. You should love your neighbor as yourself. As I said, when Jesus says this, he's quoting from the book of Deuteronomy, particularly Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 4. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 6, if you look at it in the context, follows Deuteronomy chapter 5. Deuteronomy chapter 5 is the restatement of the Ten Commandments. So you have the Ten Commandments in Exodus 20 when they're given first by Moses and Deuteronomy, they're restated uh, as Moses is giving the children of Israel the commandments which he wants them to keep as they go into the promised land. So he reads them again, the Ten Commandments. And then in chapter five, chapter 6, verse 5, he says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You should love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You should talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Uh, just apply that to how we understand God. First of all, he's telling us that God is one. Most important truth which comes from the Hebrew Scriptures is that there is one God, the creator of the heavens and the earth, who is different and who is the true God, the real God, whereas there are gods of the nations which are but idols, gods which are made up by humans. And the two can never mix. The God who made the heavens and the earth is unique. He cannot share his glory with another. So you can't bring the gods of the nations into the place where the true God is worshipped, because if you do that, then he's going to depart. He will only be worshipped on his own as the one true God. The Lord your God, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. He is one God. Uh, absolutely what we believe as well. And we come to the New Testament, the New Testament teaches us that there is a plural nature of God. There's the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit who are one, three in one, but they're still one God. That's another argument which I have dealt with in the past, but uh, it's also when you look into the, New Test the Old Testament, you'll find even in the Old Testament there are passages which indicate that God is a plural unity, even mentioning the Son. But you have passages which do back up the Christian view of the triunity. But God is one. <coughs> and because he is one, we're to love him with all our hearts, our soul, and strength, and mind as the one true God. New Testament also teaches us that there is one way to know God. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. 
So there's only one way you can come to the true God, that's through faith in Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God, who died for our sins and rose from the dead. And you can't mix the two. Peter said, there's no other name given under heaven by which we must be saved, but the name of Jesus. So we have a total agreement between the Old and the New Testament that there is one God, one God who is unique, and one God who cannot be mixed with other gods because he is the one true God, the creator God, and the redeemer God. We also have this interesting word here where he says that we should uh, keep these commands in your heart. You should teach them diligently to your children, and you should talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up. So understanding something about God should be part of your daily life. You should pray to God every day. You should have time to be with the Lord. You should speak of the Lord. And also you should teach the ways of the Lord to your children. So to pass on the message of God from one generation to another and to keep it alive so that people will know the truth about the word of God. Again, something which is totally in line with what we read in the New Testament. We then have this interesting passage where it says you should bind them as a sign on your hand they should be as frontlets between your eyes you should write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates now, if you know anything about judaism and the jewish community around here you'll know that uh, according to orthodox judaism you literally do that you take these words from the book of deuteronomy you write them on a little scroll and you put them into what they're called tefillin uh, greek word is phylacteries which you have in the new testament and you bind them literally upon your arm and upon your forehead when you go to pray. You also take the same words and you put them in another little scroll and you put them into what's called a mezuzah, which you attach to the doorpost of your house. You walk down the street, you look into the, uh, don't do it staringly, but if you just look at some of the houses, you'll see that they have a little box on the side, which is a mezuzah, which contains these words. And so, according to Orthodox Judaism, you take these words literally and you bind them to your hand, your head, your hand, you put them on the doorposts of your house. Don't actually put them on the gates. <laughs> Never seen any mezuzahs on the gates, but that's another story. So how do we understand this? Actually, from our point of view, this also has a message. What's it saying? You take the law of God and you bind it to your arm. Your arm represents your actions, how you behave, what you do. You take the law of God, you bind it to your forehead, your thought life. It applies to how you think, how you, uh, it applies to your thinking, and to your behavior. You take the law of God and you put it on the doorpost of your house. So the law of God governs what goes on inside your house. Uh, and you put it on the gates as you go out into the community. It governs how you live when you go out into the community. So we can see there actually an interesting kind of divide in the interpretation of this scripture uh, between Judaism and Christianity. I would say that the Christian one is actually getting what Moses was really talking about. Uh, was not so interested in putting little boxes on your head. He's interested in letting the law of God govern your thinking, your actions, what goes on in your home, what goes on when you go out into the community. In other words, it governs all of your life. So it is something which you act on in all of your life, and it's something which is affirmed by the New Testament. Jesus teaches in the Gospels that the law of God should govern how you behave. Paul applies it in his teaching, in his epistles. So that's the first command. You should love the Lord your God with all your heart. What about the second one? You should love your neighbor as yourself. Uh, you should love your neighbor as yourself is actually found in Leviticus chapter 19. Uh, and I'm going to read a few passages around Leviticus 18 and 19 
and we can see how these also apply to us as believers in the Messiah. So Leviticus chapter 18, we'll start off with. Uh, verse 1, Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel. Say to them, I am the Lord your God. According to the doings of the land of Egypt, where you dwelt, you shall not do. And according to the doings of the land of Canaan, where I am bringing you, <coughs> you shall not do, nor shall you walk in their ordinances. You shall observe my judgments and keep my ordinances to walk in them. I am the Lord your God. You shall therefore keep my statutes and my judgments, which if a man does, he shall live by them. I am the Lord. So what's God saying to Israel there? He's saying be different from the nations around you. Be different from the place where you come from, from Egypt. Be different from the place you're going into, from the Canaanites. Because they're worshipping other gods. They're doing other practices. And so also we should be different from the world. Uh, we should observe God's statutes and God's judgments. And we should be different from the people around about us because we have the law of God guiding our thinking, guiding our actions. And he continues to speak of things positive and negative uh, concerning how you apply love your neighbor as yourself. Going on in Leviticus chapter 18, verse 20, speaks of things which you don't do and things which you do. If you look at the first few chapters, first few verses of Leviticus 18, it actually speaks of permitted and non-permitted sexual relationships. Uh, just sum that up, it says you're not to marry your next of kin, brother, sister, aunt, uncle, or first cousin. Uh, why did it say that? Well, one of the things which we have understood from, from a creationist point of view that is as humans have developed, so they have developed certain negative ca characteristics which are genetic faults which are passed on from one generation to another. If you marry somebody who has a very close relation to yours, in other words, your sister or even your first cousin, they're likely to have the same genetic faults as you do, and therefore, if you have children, those genetic faults are going to be passed on to them. Interesting that amongst uh, Pakistani Muslims living in Bradford, they've noted that there are a large number of people who have first cousin marriages. And first cousin marriages tend to bring more deformities and more uh, genetic faults. That's also, by the way, why Cain could marry his sister in the first place, because when Adam and Eve first had children, they didn't have all these accumulated genetic faults. Sometimes people say, where did Cain get his wife from? He married his sister. Not a problem in those days. And they had children. They could have married their cousins, and they could have interbred and very rapidly produced the large number of humans which there are by the time of the flood. But this is a principle which is there in the scriptures. Okay, now coming back to what it says... Um, Go, skip on to verse 20. He says, Moreover, you shall not lie carnally with your neighbor's wife to defile yourself with her. You shall not let any of your descendants pass through the fire to Molech, nor shall you profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. You shall not lie with a male as with a woman. It is an abomination. Nor shall you mate with any animal to defile yourself with it. Nor shall any woman stand before an animal to mate with it. It is perversion. Do not defile yourself with any of these things, for by all these the nations are defiled, which I am casting out before you. For the land is defiled, therefore I visit the punishment of its iniquity upon it, and the land vomits out its inhabitants. You shall therefore keep my statutes and judgments, and shall not commit any of these abominations, either you or your own nation, or any stranger who dwells among you. So does any of that apply to us? Well, first of all, obviously the adultery bit does. Uh, very clearly, the Bible teaches the sanctity of marriage. One man, one woman committed to each other in marriage is God's pattern. 
was broken frequently in the Old Testament times, but that is God's law that people should live by. And adultery is one of the, breaking one of the Ten Commandments. Uh, we live in an adulterous and sinful generation in which adultery and fornication are all part of the entertainment system and which are ways in which people follow in our society. Don't go like them. You live a different way. What about passing your children through the fire? Well, nobody does that, do they? Well, actually, our sister's already referred to it when she prayed uh, concerning abortion. We don't pass our children through the fire to Monarch, but we slaughter millions of them every year in, in the world in abortion, sacrificing them to gods of pleasure, convenience. As people say, talk about a woman's right to choose, woman's right to choose what happens in her body, but the child doesn't have any right to choose whether it wants to live or to die. And God says this is wrong. So we have here another instance of something which applies to how people behave today. Also says very clearly, you should not lie with a male as with a woman. It is an abomination. Speaking here clearly of homosexual practice, that it's forbidden in the Hebrew scriptures. Now, some people say that um, because there are certain commandments which we don't keep anymore in the Torah, therefore we can disregard this one. It's just one of the ones which are just for the time, not for our present time. They even say that Jesus didn't say anything about homosexuality, which specifically he didn't actually. He did say that marriage is between a man and a woman, but you can't find anything in the teaching of Jesus which deals specifically with the sin of homosexuality. The fact that Jesus didn't say anything about it, or he was talking mainly to Jews, which perhaps it wasn't an issue. But Paul, who was speaking to the Greeks where it was an issue, said a great deal about it. And Paul affirms, under the spirit of the Lord, directed by the Lord Jesus, that homosexuality is a sin which should be forbidden in Romans chapter 1, 1 Corinthians, and in other passages. So this one applies to us as well in our time. <clears throat> I don't know about mating with animals. I've never heard of that happening, but I guess it did happen, and perhaps it can still happen today. Um, sounds pretty horrible. But things do some pretty vile things today. And one of the things we're seeing in the world today is as we cast off the restraint of the law of God, we're seeing all manner of sexual immorality, perversion, and things taking place which are uh, bringing us under the judgment of God. And so Paul says, don't, uh, it says here, don't defile yourself with any of these things. By these things the nations are defiled, which I cast out before you. Okay, let's go on to Leviticus chapter 19. Uh, we'll take it up in verse 11. I'm taking selections of this, but uh, you can see the relevance. Verse 11, it says, You shall not steal, nor deal falsely, nor lie to one another. That's pretty obvious what it means, but it's all those things are applied in the New Testament. You shall not swear by my name falsely, nor shall you profane the name of your God, I am the Lord. Also repeated in the New Testament, don't take the name of the Lord in vain. Don't swear by God's name. Don't use Jesus as a swear word, or even say, oh God, as a swear word. It's part of profaning the name of God. Verse 13, you shall not cheat your neighbor nor rob him. The wages of him who is hired shall not remain with you all night until morning. You shall not curse the deaf nor put a stumbling block before the blind, but shall fear the Lord your God. I am the Lord. You shall do no injustice in judgment. You shall not be impartial to the poor, nor honor the person of integrity. In righteousness, you shall judge your neighbor. You shall not go about as a talebearer among your people, nor shall you take a stand against the life of your neighbor. I am the Lord. You shall not hate your brother in your heart, 
You shall surely rebuke your neighbor and not bear sin because of him. You shall not take vengeance nor bear any grudge against the children of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. So there's the statement in verse 18. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Notice that it says here a number of things which you're not to do to your neighbor. You're not to cheat your neighbor nor rob him. If you're an employer, you're to pay him his wages as they're due. Uh, You're not to curse the deaf or put a stumbling block before the blind. Not to treat people who are infirm in a way which is cruel or unjust. Uh, Not do injustice in judgment. Not be partial to the poor nor honor the person of the mighty. Uh, So principles there for how to behave in the sense of society and of law and looking after the poor, looking after the people who are oppressed, not doing injustice against them. And not hating your neighbor, brother, in your heart, not rebuking your neighbor, not bearing sin because of him, not taking vengeance, nor bearing a grudge against your children of your people. Jesus actually affirms that pretty much in the Sermon on the Mount when he's speaking about uh, murder and hatred. So you have principles there which are exactly the same in the New Covenant and which apply to how we behave in society, how we should behave in our business life, in our uh, concern for others and looking after the needs of the people around about us. Okay, let's carry on. Uh, Verse 28 says, You shall not make any cuttings in your flesh for the dead nor tattoo any marks on you. I am the Lord. Do not prostitute your daughter to cause her to be a harlot lest the land fall into harlotry and the land become full of wickedness. You shall keep my Sabbaths and reverence my sanctuary. I am the Lord. Give no regard to mediums or familiar spirits. Do not seek after them to be defiled by them. I am the Lord your God. You shall rise before the grey-headed and honour the presence of an old man and fear your God. I am the Lord. And if a stranger dwells with your, in your land, you shall not mistreat him. The stranger who dwells with you, among you, shall be to you as one born among you, and you shall love him as yourself, for you are strangers in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. You shall do no injustice in judgment, in measurement or length of length, weight or volume. You shall have honest scales, honest weights, and honest ephah, and honest hin. I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Therefore, you shall observe all my statutes and judgments and perform them. I am the Lord. Are those good commandments? Yeah, should we keep them? Don't make any cuttings in your flesh. Don't tattoo marks on you. Uh, Bit of a tricky one today because a lot of people do have tattoos on them. If you have already got tattoos and you can't get rid of them, well, just tell God you're sorry about it, but don't put any more on. It's something which you shouldn't do uh, because your body is holy to the Lord and he doesn't want you messing it with some marks on it. Interestingly, the ultimate tattoo which is coming is in Revelation 13 where it speaks about the mark of the beast which people say will be some kind of a tattoo or mark on you without which you can't buy or sell. The word used in Revelation 13 is actually charagma, which means an engraving or some kind of a cutting into the flesh. We don't know exactly what it'll be, but God says don't take it on any circumstances. But maybe part of the craze for tattoos is kind of preparing people for this. Don't know. But anyway, it says don't make tattoos on your body. I say if you've already got them, too bad. You can't get rid of them, but don't get any more. Don't prostitute your daughter to cause her to be a harlot. Don't spread immorality to children. Does that apply to our society? Today we are teaching children in schools the most abominable things. Uh, sexual immorality, homosexuality, transsexuality, 
inflict them upon the children in a way which is actually an abomination to God, which is bringing terrible judgment upon this nation. And it's causing a generation to be totally sexually confused and to be subject to all kinds of wicked teachings, which are causing the land to fall into harlotry and the land to become full of wickedness. Certainly applies to our land and applies to most of the Western world and indeed to most of the world, actually. Keep my Sabbath, reverence my sanctuary. Uh, there is an issue about the Sabbath, which is a little bit complicated, but certainly we should have a day to remember the Lord, to worship him and to come together to join in worship and praise to our Lord and to hear his word. Don't give regard to mediums and familiar spirits. Don't seek after them. Speaking there about the occult, the demonic realm, and we see that that is very much in our society today. A whole lot of our entertainment is full of basically occultism uh, and demonic things which are related to mediums, trying to contact the dead, contacting evil spirits, and you see manifestations of evil spirits in the culture, in the music, in the art, and in the, in the films, and all kinds of influences which are totally contrary to God, and they're dangerous because they're opening you up to the demonic realm, to the evil spirits, which really do exist under the power of Satan, and the only way we can be delivered from them is by the power of God through faith in Jesus Christ. And rise up before the grey-headed, well, that's me, isn't it? <laughs> Honour the presence of an old man, but certainly have respect for the older generation and care for the people who are older and look after them. And if the stranger dwells in your land, you should not mistreat him. So speaking there about perhaps about migration, about expecting people from different races amongst us and caring for them and treating people equally with justice. And you should love stranger as yourself. You are strangers in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. And principles there. And do no injustice in judgment, in, measure, in, in measurement of length, weight or volume, have honest scales, honest weights. Uh, the ancient world, you could have a dishonest weight so that people ask for so much, so many grams of wheat, and because the weighters, scales are not right, they get less than they ask for. Don't do that. People there for honesty and uh, social life and business life and <coughs> being honest in all that we do. So we see that all these things are things which apply to us today. And although we're not under the law, we can learn from these passages in the Hebrew Scriptures and apply them to how we live, and we can recognize that they are things which God wants us to do and learn lessons from them. Also, of course, when we read these and when we read the whole of the Torah, we understand that we don't keep it, and therefore we're in trouble with God. And it convicts us of sin and judgment, righteousness and judgment. And if we don't keep God's law, then we're under his judgment. Uh, Paul spoke about the curse of the law, uh, what he meant by the curse of the law was that in Deuteronomy, Moses read the whole of this law to the people and then he concluded by having them say, cursed is anyone who does not keep every word of the Torah. And the people said, Amen. That they, they were putting themselves under a curse because if they didn't keep the Torah, then they were under the curse of God. What's the answer to that? Well, Jesus the Messiah became a curse for us on the cross that we might be delivered from the curse of the law and have faith in Jesus and forgiveness and eternal life. And not one of us keeps every commandment of God, not one of us keeps even the Ten Commandments, all of us sin in some way, and therefore all of us need to come to God through Jesus the Redeemer. And Paul wrote in Romans chapter 5, verse 6, uh, 
For when we were still without strength in due time, Christ, the Messiah, died for the ungodly. Scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we should be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we should be saved by his life. Not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we now have received the reconciliation. God shows his great love for us in that while we were still sinners, the Messiah died for us. He paid the price. He shed his blood. We just remembered in the breaking of bread that Jesus died for our sins, that he took the punishment that we deserve for breaking his commandments, and that through repentance and faith in him, we can receive forgiveness and eternal life. And therefore we can now rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we received the reconciliation. We made friends with God. Once we were enemies, now we're friends with God through faith in Jesus. And it's only through Jesus. That's why actually Judaism has many good things about it, many things which we can see are pleasing to God, and yet it misses the main point that it needs a redeemer, they need a salvation. Jewish people have been through all the the autumn festivals, uh, during Yom Kippur, they prayed, they fasted before God, but they haven't had the blood of atonement, which is applied only through Yeshua, Jesus the Messiah. That's why we have a better covenant through Jesus. And it's through Jesus that we receive the reconciliation Going on in Romans chapter 5, verse 20, says the law entered that the offence might abound, but where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. Just as sin has reigned in death, so even so grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So we can have the grace of God, the undeserved favour of God, as we believe in Jesus the Messiah. And in 1 John, he tells us, verse 5, 1 John chapter 1, verse 5. This is the message which we've heard from him and declare to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. That verse just speaks for itself. The blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins, and the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. And we can know that we are children of God, saved, redeemed through the blood of Jesus, and having a glorious hope for the future in the eternal kingdom of God. So, final word, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. Amen.